Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm very excited to talk with a very good and excellent expert on habit formation. So Heather McKee, how are you today? Great, Lori. Thanks for having me. Great. And everyone here knows this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. And honestly, it's why I started my podcast six years ago is because why were so many people able to change their behavior and others weren't? And I was like, where am I missing? Like, what is the, where's the secret lie? And, you know, hopefully you'll help us get a little bit closer to the gold mine, so to speak. And you're joining us from Dublin, Ireland, which is really fun. I love just hearing about people living in other places. So welcome to the podcast and tell me a little bit about your history and how you got into this. It's such an interesting field to be studying. Yeah, um, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I started out um, by studying um, sports science, actually, and then I moved into health psychology. And then my PhD was in how to lose weight without dieting. And so what we looked at was Uh, groups of people that were able to maintain their habits long term versus those that kind of fell off track and we looked at well what were the key factors what were the skills that those people built to be able to Mm. stick with healthy habits long term Um, and we also investigated fun stuff like when people were tempted most and why Um, and also how do people balance multiple goals at once and um, I think it was when my research got taken up by the media in the U.S people were starting asking me, well, how do I build skills for habit change then? Um, And I was like, wow, okay, this is something that people want. Um, So uh, I I kind of straddled academia for a long time. um, But my kind of key thing with academia was that, you know, all of the key information was just getting published in these academic journals and it wasn't necessarily getting disseminated to people that really needed to understand and learn it better um and it was when my stuff got published in the media that I really got to see well actually people have a real um excuse the pun appetite for this um and so I wanted to be able to share the messages that we knew from um academia were so effective to help support people to create lasting change yeah because I mean I work that's a that's where there's so much there I could just dive into um well some of the best-selling books are all about you know, healthier habits and like the atomic habits. And, mm. um, you know, I interviewed him in the very beginning, um, but before he Incredible. launched his book and yeah, it's really fun. Um, okay. So you went into sports and then you just started seeing this is the field that people are really interested in and let's go from there. So let's dive in. Um, where should we begin? Like, how can people start the good habits and how do we break the bad habits? Like where, where do you, where would you start with someone who's just seeking learning how to develop the skills to, to make better habits for themselves? So I think it's actually something you just mentioned there, Larry, that made me think about this was, is I suppose I'll start at the start in terms of why behavioral science is useful in terms of creating lasting change. Um, And the thing is, you know, we all know, that there are certain ingredients that we need in the recipe for health. So a lot of us know that we need to eat more vegetables Mm -hmm. and we need to move more. We need to sleep better and we need to manage our stress. 
but how many of us are doing that on a consistent basis? And, and, and it's, it's hard and change is hard, but the problem is that a lot of people focus just on the ingredients of change mm-hmm. and they actually don't focus on the method. Um, and the method is behavioral science. It's the routines, it's the habits. It's actually creating those structures around, you know, those key vital ingredients in order to make them stick in your life. And I like to say, you know, if you're struggling to improve, um, the problem isn't you, the problem is your method. And if you can change a method, your method, then, you know, change can happen for you. And a lot of people, you know, they just try and find the silver bullet, you know, that magic wand, that secret sauce. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I often say, you know, it's, it's time to stop looking for the secret sauce. Excuse me. Oh, bless you. Um, it's time to stop looking for the secret sauce and recognize mm-hmm. that actually you are the only person that can change your habits and you are the mm-hmm. only person that can change your life. So ultimately, the secret sauce is you. Um, so I think that's just a really important platform um, to, to jump off from, that actually behavioral science helps us take those vital ingredients from, from the world of health and actually apply them to our daily lives, day in, day out. Okay, so you're just talking about the ingredient being the actions that we need to employ for better health, but you're, the specifics about the behavioral science is the actual methods of in, in getting those actions into your life on a regular consistent basis is is that what you yeah doing? I would say it's more like your intentions turning your t- intentions, intentions into actions and, and what I mean ah, by that is it's gotcha. information it's implementation not information that brings about change so mm-hmm. we can know all of the things we can know the best diets in the world we can know all the exercises we need to do we can know all of the stress management tips but that doesn't necessarily make it easy for us to apply them in our day-to-day lives and often that's mm-hmm. because we're missing that methodology of how to actually create habits that last okay so the next question obviously would be how do we start learning what the methods are <laughs> the methodology like where do we yeah, even begin? Well, <laughs> where to begin well I think let's start at the very beginning and I would say one thing that one thing that I see a lot of people do okay New Year's comes around and we get super excited and we want to make all of the changes all at once so we decide we're going to exercise more we're going to cut down on sugar we're going to give up alcohol we're going to be nice to our children we're going to do all of the things we're going to save and actually the more goals you add in the more you take away from the focal goal it's concept in psychology known as goal dilution um and what's quite interesting is that we put so much pressure on ourselves to achieve certain outcomes so you know I I tell me if you can relate you know so often and I'm I'm sure you see this in your patients that they're they're striving towards a particular number on the scales or a number in their dress size or maybe it's a number in their bank accounts or finish time on a race or a number of minutes spent meditating but off so often we focus on these outcomes and, and that's what I call slippy motivation it's known as extrinsic motivation whereas if we focus on numbers alone you know, the joy of getting there can be quite fleeting. But also if those numbers don't tell us what we want to see, it's very hard for us to continually engage in those numbers over time. So if you step on the scales and it doesn't tell you the number you want, do you feel more motivated or less motivated? Mm -hmm. And so the opposite of that is intrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation comes from the word inward, which means goods for the soul. So these are motivators that actually feel personally meaningful for you. So being healthy is a part of who you are. Being healthy allows you to show up better for your work each day, show up better for your relationships, show up better for your kids. It gives you more confidence in life, gives you more energy, gives you more vitality. And 
ultimately what I what we need to kind of as Simon Sinek said we need to start with why because if you can find your why you can find your way and ultimately if we ask ourselves what does it give me back in my life what does following this habit so if you think about any change you wish to create in your life right now be it to manage your stress better be it to improve your diet be it to exercise more be it to be more productive at work ask yourself instead of what it takes away or what you have to strive towards, or instead of assigning a number towards it, ask yourself, what does it give me back in my life to be able to pursue this goal? What does this allow me to do? Who does this allow me to be? And ultimately that can set you on the path. So that's really interesting. So I had a patient um, many years ago and then smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> an older gentleman, I was in Western Colorado, you know, just the hard I'm sure there's, I don't know what you call them in Ireland, but it, they're like, these are hardcore people. <laughs> they're, you know, salt of the earth type folks, we're hard workers, good natured. But every time you come in, you're like, you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I'm your doctor. I'm going to have to tell you to stop smoking. It's not good for you. You can develop lung cancer. You could save money, you know, all these things. And he's like, mm, it doesn't matter. I enjoy it. Well, one day he came back and he said, hey, doc, I stopped smoking. I was like, what happened? Because obviously nothing I said worked or did, or, you know, trying to push the certain emotional levers that, you know, trying to find, I guess, the why, if that's probably what I was thinking, was like, what is it going to be for him, that personal intrinsic motivation? And he says, well, you know, my granddaughter came up to me one day and she started crying. She's like, Papa, I don't want you to die. And he's like, I'm not going to die. What's the matter? She goes, she goes, anybody who smokes is going to die. He stopped that day and never wanted another one. And I was like, well, wow. there you go. So I totally get the why. <laughs> and we all probably have this, you know, personal stories of ourselves. Like we did something we didn't think we could do, but we, we felt really that strong push and pull from in the inside versus the outside. Um, so how, you know, yes, I love Simon Sinek and all that stuff and to, to search and find your why. Is there a specific strategy or some type of way to help us figure out what our why is outside of, you know, I have... Um, let's say a reunion coming up or a wedding I need to attend and want to see that scale. So I look better. Like, how do we dive deeper? Is there, is you, you ask five whys? Is it, what is, what is the one thing that you found to be successful or some ideas? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've hit the nail on the head asking five whys, you know, mm. if you, if you want to look better for a particular event, why is that? You know, I, one thing I, an example I like to give is, you know, often people will say, well, I want to get 10,000 steps a day on my fitness tracker. Why? Um, because that will make me feel fitter. Why do you want to feel fitter? Um, well, feeling fitter might give me more energy. Um, so I'm better able to kind of play with my children in the evening or have more energy for my other half. Why is that important to you? Because able to, being able to contribute to my family is important to me. And, and so the more whys and the more layers we get to, and this isn't something you have to do out loud. This can be something that you simply just set a one minute timer and start journaling, start asking yourself why. And, um, you know, so often we see people would say, oh, well, I, I you know, I'm exercising because I want to get a six pack. Why do you want a six pack? Um, well, because I want to feel fit. Why do you want to feel fit? And the, I, when you ultimately ask why, 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 you get to that contribution piece. What does it contribute to your life? Mm -hmm. And that's really the intrinsic motivation. And that's very, very important. Um, and what I would say is, you know, ask yourself the five whys. If you feel like you haven't really caught on to anything else, um, mm -hmm. start asking other people. 
start finding out what their whys are because it can give you some inspiration it can give you some insight into why people are doing things and especially if you want to get your family on board with your healthy habit changes it's important to be able to express your whys behind things so that they can understand that this isn't you trying to put change upon them that actually this truly matters to you because of what it can give you back and give you back as a family as a whole as well Mm -hmm. I love that so basically you get to the foundation is the contribution to your life, your, Mm. your health, you know, your, because when you show up with better health, you show up for the people that mean the most to you. And honestly, I think the majority of, especially women who are most of my patients, um, their family is their friends, their community is why they do what they do, right? Why we work so hard, don't take care of ourselves. But if you can make them see in their brain that taking care of themselves, one, it's not it is not a selfish activity. It's a required activity for you to be the better person that you're wanting to show up as. I, I feel like that's such an important message that mm. so many women miss or actually just ignore altogether because they feel guilty if they look into the mirror and say, oh, wow, I'm actually happy that I'm in this body. Or I'm happy that I'm the person I am. I don't know why mm. <laughs> we have this, this guilt thing following us wherever we go. Maybe it's because we're trying to measure up to an external uh <laughs> yeah. measurement I have no idea yeah it is it's just so much um because as a physician and I'm sure with your work as well you've had people tell you very intimate details of their lives and their concerns and fears and stuff and that's a resounding continual message that I I just mm. it doesn't stop and for me as a physician especially with the work I do it's always that messaging piece and so I'm always looking for more you know really important little bits and pieces that I can measure, but there's already so much here that I can, I'm already thinking, hmm, I'm going to mention that to my patients. How can I yeah. message that? So um, it's fabulous. In a, in a way you could summarize it and say, instead of focusing on what you lose or miss out on by following a particular habit, think about what you gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, so some of my, so we're running a, we're, we had started a new company. We, I, I, the plant-based telehealth was acquired. So I, went to another new startup and we're actually using groups. And so they're physician and physician assistant led small groups on a weekly basis. And we're trying to use insurance and everything. So it's increasing accessibility, but it's employing lifestyle measurement or principles, basically. So it's healthy eating, it's the exercise, stress reduction, but that community aspect of it. So we're always looking for ways to discuss it. And so I was reaching out to them saying, you know, if we were going to be advertising another circle starting, what would it be that would get you to join? And they were all mentioning similar things, right? Is, um, you know, I want to feel healthier. I want to have more energy. I want to be there for my family. And I said, how about this? You lose medications and chronic disease, but you gain your life. You know, So they were all like, yes, that's exactly it. And that really is the key. Um, but wow, that's fantastic. So now we have developed and found our why, let's say that they've mm. kind of done the inner homework and peeled back the onion layers what's the next step? Where do we begin to learn? Okay, so we have the intrinsic motivation. How do we employ the methodology to make these changes start happening in our lives? Well, the next step really is around harnessing that intrinsic motivation in a whole other way. 
Um, so you, you touched on this story a little bit there, which, you know, so often when it comes to creating change in our life, we think we need to punish or deprive ourselves into change. Mm. So for example, when a year comes around or we're starting a health kick, or we've got a certain event coming up that we want to get ready for, or whatever it happens to be, you know, we go out into the supermarket or the mall and we buy ourselves, you know, the most worthy foods, you know, um, the most boring foods, those kind of diet related foods, whatever happens to be for you for a lot of people it tends to be steamed broccoli quinoa and kale let's say and they just do it with no sauce no excitement nothing Mm. um or when we join a a new gym and when we look out on the gym floor and you know we we look for the most punishing machine or what we feel like (laughs) is going to be most beneficial we hone in on that stairmaster or the treadmill because it's hardest we think it's going to be most beneficial um, but actually the opposite true is true in behavioral science. It's the activities that you enjoy that you engage mm. with most. And there's a really fun study um, that Katie Milkman and colleagues did where um, they got, uh, well, she certainly talks about it in her, in her new book anyway. Um, and uh, they got two groups of women and, and they got them both to walk. And one of them, they told one group, they told them they were walking for exercise. The other group, they told them they were walking for fun. And mm-hmm. afterwards, um, they came back in and they had the reams of kind of surveys to do for the researchers and the walking for exercise group um, were then followed up three months later and the walking for fun group were followed up three months later. But while they were completing the surveys, they were given unlimited access to M&Ms. Um, and what they didn't know was that the researchers were in the back afterwards measuring how many M&Ms they, they ate. Um, and who do you think ate the most M&Ms? The fun group or the exercise group? I'm going to have to go with the exercise group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because they felt more deprived. They felt like they were doing it out of obligation. And so they felt like they had to rebel against the regime that they had created for themselves. They felt more restricted. They felt less freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we think about this, there's a lovely phrase from Mary Poppins, which is in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap the jobs again. And, you know, if if you think about as a parent, you know, (laughs) if we want to get kids excited about vegetables, what do we do? We make them into the shape of dinosaurs or into something Mm. that looks gross because kids love things that look gross. We want them to exercise. We don't tell them about the long term benefits of exercise. You know, we bring them out and we play with them and we bring them to fun parks. We get them to do activities that they just really get lost in and they enjoy. Mm. And so ultimately the habits that we stick to are the habits that we enjoy. And so what I would say, you know, to your listeners and, and, and a tool potentially for your patients is start a healthy habit joy list. Ask yourself, mm. what are those activities that spark joy for me? Maybe it's, you know, that hot water and lemon in the morning makes you feel revived and refreshed. Maybe it's going for a walk um, up the mountains with your dog makes you feel alive. Maybe it's listening um, to, you know, heavy metal music while you do a hit training mm. session makes you feel strong and empowered, whatever it is. Mm. The, the thing is, if we can tune into joy, then the rest becomes easy. Mm. That's really funny. Just even a simple thing, you know, there, cause I love to run and people are like, Oh, you shouldn't be listening to music when you run, even though I use the kind of the, the, what do they call them? The arrow. Oh, what are they called? Anyway, they, they come outside of the ear. They don't go inside the ear. So I can mm. still hear some, 
of the outside noise, but at least I can going because there's certain there's certain musical <laughs> groups that really get me moving and going in the right direction. You're like exactly what you said. You feel strong. You can move faster, and you'll definitely see pace pick up when you're running if you're listening to music. But then if I try to do it without music, it's like this isn't even fun anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like exactly. I love it's the joy piece of that. They're exactly right. So. Um, that's really interesting. So anyone who's looking, you know, when you do a health coach, you know, if you're a health coach out there helping people too, because I have a lot of people who do work in the health industry, like, mm. and, you know, ask them what they enjoy. Don't just say, we're going to punish you with 50,000 lunges today because yeah. <laughs> your butt needs some work or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, and we've all been there. Point on, uh, yeah, there's an important point in that, Larry, that you touched on there, which is, you know, not only creating your joy list so thinking about those healthy habits that bring you joy but also actually what is the feeling that you get from engaging in those healthy habits because if we can train our brain to actually think about and anticipate the reward it makes it much easier to engage in the habit so for example when you're going running if you start thinking about oh well that strong feeling I get when I'm running up the top of the hill or that relief that I get when I come back you know Mm -hmm. um to the house after a long run or that feeling of empowerment I get after going running in the rain if you start to uh, train your brain so the next time when you're lying on bed weighing up the pros and cons of if you should run or if you should not run if you start thinking about well actually how am I going to feel when I'm finished this how mm. much are those feelings of accomplishment of achievement how what am I going to feel in my body if you start training your brain to crave those mm. it can really help you actually engage in that behavior more and it, it's essentially training your brain to attend to what you enjoy about that activity rather than what makes it hard so you're training the brain and so basically there's just questions of basically forecasting how you're going to feel envisioning the joy that you're going to receive either at the end of the hard task or during the process the journey of the habit or the exercise or whatever it may be is that would that be the yeah ask yourself how you're going to feel when you're finished gotcha And I feel like, you know, with you, you know, kind of coming back to um, BJ Fogg, you know, celebration is a really important Mm. key too, because that celebrating what you've done, even if it's a little thing, brings you back to the joy and it just starts building that because the brain's like, oh, little dopamine hit. I like it. Yeah. Always because I I tell my patients, you know, like, listen, we're going to, we're going to have this little relationship going. I need you to feed me my veggie cracks. I'm going to tell you to eat more vegetables you're going to do it, get better and healthy. That's going to make me feel good about myself. And we'll just keep it going. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like, it's really fun. And patients, honestly, it's, I wish more doctors would have, you know, someone like you to help train them and understand the language that we use with our patients um, is so motivating or demotivating, right? So if we come in at this paternal you're doing this, you're going to die early. Uh, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's kind of what we go back to. Cause that's how we were trained in that type of environment. Um, but if we come to it from this way saying, I'm your partner, let's talk, let's move in this right direction with, let's see how you're feeling and make it all about them. And they're, you're getting their supporting. How excited do you get? Honestly, I feel like that's part of the success we've had is because we get so excited to see someone get well, truly mm. well. It's not me. Well, here's another medicine. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you, you know, I, that's one thing I think I shied away from being a specialist, like an oncologist or something, because there would never be, well, there is going to be some good points, right? When people 
defeat cancer, but there's, there's be a lot of sad days as well. And I can't even imagine as a person taking it. So God bless those who are willing to do that. I, I personally couldn't, <laughs> but, um, but it is, it's, I did hospice director for two years and I was oh. like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but anyway, you touched on there, Laurie, and even, and BJ Fogg says it as well, you know, that change is hard, mm-hmm. but it's even harder if you're being hard on yourself about it. And, you know, if we make change fun, if we celebrate our success, if we tap into those small wins, you know, it, it, it not only trains our brain and gives a dopamine response, but it just makes our life easier. And especially, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, some of those patients that are dealing with so many difficulties in their life, why, why would they make their, heart, their life any harder? You know, mm-hmm. let's bring in more joy. Let's bring in more fun. Let's bring in, you know, those habits that support us to feel at our best. You know, and so there's two things that come to mind that kind of we spoke to prior to us starting is giving permission to do that. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like giving you permission to feel good, to bring joy into the life, because it's interesting. I will see patients and maybe you can help me figure out what's going on. You have patients and they make these amazing strides. They'll get to a point and it almost seems to be the same finish line or the same point in their journey. And then they like, say surrender, give up. I got to go back. Um, I had one patient who would get amazing weight loss, 35 pounds. She'd hit close to 200 and then she'd stop. And then one day she mentioned to me, she goes, you know, but then men are going to find me attractive and I don't necessarily want to deal with that. And I'm sure there's deeper trauma involved in some other things, but other than, um, you know, saying, I think you need therapy. Let's dive into that a little deeper. How do you help people who really struggle with giving themselves permission to feel better. That's like the, the woman who goes back to the abusive relationship. It's the, mm. you know, it's like, is there any starting point? Cause I know there's a lot of hard work involved with that. There's so much we could dive into that, but any ideas there to help people begin to unravel the, the door or open the door that says, you know, I don't deserve this or I'm not sure I feel comfortable feeling mm. good. Yeah, and I, I think, what you've touched on here is kind of the root of all of our unhelpful habits. I, I prefer mm-hmm. calling them unhelpful habits and bad habits, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I like to look at what, you know, traditionally is called bad habits. It's like a tangled knot, you know, mm-hmm. the tighter that we pull on all of the things, you know, say, for example, we want to give up eating because we're stressed, you know, then if we try and or eating sugar because we're stressed and, and if we try and just do that all at once, we're going to make that habit knot um, tighter. But if we start to look at, well, when do I eat sugar and in what circumstance do I eat sugar and what's driving me to eat sugar, it starts to help us kind of loosen the knot a little bit and, and look at, okay, well, let's see a typical week. What are the triggers? Because habits kind of are formed across this loop of a cue or a trigger, a routine, and then a reward. Um, and so, you know, what are the cues and triggers for you engaging in sugar? Is it stuff like loneliness? You know, is it when oh, when you're on your own? Is that the circumstance in which you engage with it? Is it after you have a fight with your your other half or or your boss? Is that when you engage with it? And that will start to give us little clues as to actually what's driving the roots of that behavior. Is it stress? Is it loneliness? Is it anxiety? And 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 then we can start to dig into that um, a little bit further. And and we can look at instead of actually just trying to give up sugar altogether because we feel like that's a problem, we can actually start to create habits that actually work at the root so we can work at the stress we can work at you know um perhaps it's 
an, an issue with a relationship in your life. But the, the first step to kind of getting there is, is you acknowledge is, is the awareness. So ask yourself, you know, if you've got a habit that you feel like is unhelpful, maybe it's not eating sugar, maybe it's drinking, maybe it's smoking, maybe it's getting angry, whatever it happens to be, ask yourself, when and where does this show up for me? And, and start mm-hmm. to track those patterns. And then when you look at when and where it shows up for you, ask yourself why. Why does this show up for me? And that's going to give you some really key insights and you're going to start to see things. And even in some of our research, we found that people kept finding there were certain times of day that they were most likely to give in to temptation. Everyone thought, okay, well, it's totally spontaneous. It's totally random. But then each person had their own individual patterns where it came up time and time again. And that was because it was in response to a particular cue and a particular trigger. Now that cue might be that you walk past a donut shop on your way home from work. And so there you go. You know now that actually it's the smell of freshly baked donuts as you're walking home from work. That's that cue or trigger for you. Um, for other people, they start to realize, oh, it's only in certain circumstances or environments that, you know, that trigger, that habit is cued. And that can just give us a lot of information because that early awareness is the first step towards creating actionable change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this list reminds me of my good friend, Judd Brewer. Are you familiar with his work? Okay. Yeah. So the whole mindfulness thing. So that for me, I feel was really, really crucial. Like you described understanding the power loop, the power habits, um, the power of habits. One of my favorite books is just really understanding. Yeah. How I got here, but stopping and asking just a few questions, even if you go ahead and engage with whatever the activity is or the behavior, at least you're beginning to understand why. And Mm. before you know it, you're maybe able to make a different decision because it's maybe less attractive to you. Cause at the end yeah. of it, you're just, you're like, why am I doing this? Oh, well, am I actually hungry? Hmm. You know, just, yeah. but yeah, the, the and I think you're, it's really important to me that like, there's no, like, that's why I don't like to call them bad habits because mm-hmm. essentially like all habits serve a purpose in your life, you know, right. whether they're helpful or unhelpful. And the key question to ask is, what purpose is this serving? Because it's maybe it's trying to protect you from Mm. certain vulnerabilities. But if we can become aware, and like you say, have that mindful awareness and tune into it, then, you know, we can really, it can really empower us to really understand what drives a habit. Mm. So now I'm pretty sure what's going on in people's minds, because I'm trying to think about the comments or questions that we'll get if, who I, if I don't ask certain questions of these guests who are really interesting, like yourself. Um, number one, uh, you said you mentioned research. So you have research that maybe you could send to us with links and I can yeah. put that as well. Not a bother. Awesome. Perfect. And there was a book by Katie, someone, I'm sure someone. Katie Milkman. Milkman. Um, how to change how to change okay I think oh I, I like I'm sure I have it on my desk here uh, I will send you um the book okay it's, it's, it's absolutely but, brilliant and actually one key book and I'll send you a paper is by Wendy okay. Wood and okay. um she wrote a seminal paper on habits and habit psychology and habit formation and her book oh. good habits bad habits is absolutely fantastic it's a wonderful summary of this field good habits bad habits okay Fantastic. I can already tell they're going to have a little bump in, <laughs> in their uh, book sales. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. So now we, there's so much here. Um, training the brain, <laughs> looking at just different themes. So I guess, you know, we had also mentioned, you know, the permission component of that. We thought that was an important piece that, you know, give yourself the permission mm. to proceed in, in being 
ridding your life of unhelpful habits and bringing in more helpful habits, right? Because like you said, they all do serve a purpose, whether how we start these or not, we, they do. Like I had a, a patient who mentioned every Sunday, her dad would take her and her siblings uh, to go get a Coke in a bottle. And because a lot of my patients are a little older, they're, well, a little older, maybe in their sixties or so. My dad used to do that too, to be honest. Yes. Yes. Right. And so my grandmother yeah. who lived with my husband and I Coke for eight in a bottle years, with a straw back in yeah, the day. And sometimes <laughs> peanuts in there too. I don't know why yeah. she loved to put peanuts in her. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. No. Yeah. Must be a Texas thing. I don't know. But anyway, it was really fun to see honestly how excited she'd get over it. Yeah. But she said, but that's what would happen when now every single time that I consume Coca-Cola, and she's a diabetic, she had to lose some weight. And she, we know these basically drinking sugar water is not helpful. She goes, but it brings me such joy in thinking about that time with my dad. Mm. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> why don't we just, let's see if there's any other, is it the carbonation? You know, maybe we can emulate the same idea with just a healthier substitute. You know, those, I didn't want to take away that thing because that would be, like, right, trying to deprive her. Do you have any solutions to where there's these unhelpful habits are actually associated with a very happy childhood memory or something? Like, how can we tweak that? Or is there any, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on that. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm not sure I have the exact answer because it's certainly something that, you know, what we try and do in the habits field is crowd out unhelpful habits by creating more helpful habits. And then, um, and, and rather than focusing too much and I think you've approached this perfectly and rather than focusing too much on what we shouldn't do and shutting all over ourselves we focus on what we can do and what we feel empowered to do and and I'd be interested for that woman's situation about what else brings about nostalgia for her dad because it feels Mm -hmm. like what drives that habit is actually for her to feel reconnected with her father Mm -hmm. um more than anything else yeah I think it's because he he was he worked so much and was gone. And so then when he came home, like that was their special time together as a family. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've, you know, and of course he had passed at this point and I'm not sure, but that's a great question, right? We would be to ask, well, what else can we do to maybe help you feel those feelings and maybe less, less of a habit to drink, you know, the Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I, I think like the, what you've touched on here is like, so like, habits are for life not just for January you know they're not just for Mm. you know for New Year's um and and so actually we need to experiment a little bit especially if we've got those unhelpful habits that we want to get over um and so for that particular patient it's about well understanding what else helps her reconnect with her dad and Mm. she might find that some things work some things don't but eventually something will click for her and she'll mm-hmm. find, okay, this is the new thing that I engage with that actually helps me reminisce. I feel close. This is, helps me with the memories. And actually she'll crave the Coke less and less because ultimately mm-hmm. the underlying driver of that habit is being served. It's just being served in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's really interesting how certain things can evoke emotion in uh, memories. Like for example, my mother and my grandmother, <laughs> They all go back to that. Uh, they use this, uh, basically it's a menthol type rub mm. and they, at both of them did it every single night. Yeah. Like they'd wear their rub, <laughs> their furry little robes. Oh, I know my mother picked it up from my grandmother. Oh my heavens. And so every time they would sit down, I see them. If I smell that menthol, 
they mm. immediately are sitting it's going back to them seeing them in their furry robes rubbing this all over their face and going to sleep and yeah. why that comes back to me i don't know but it's a really kind of a it's a Smile fun so memory mm. oh wow yeah so I, I yeah i had another patient who could not could not eat anything out of a can um he said that when he was little and lived in a very uh, stressful environment, very poor, um, that there would be he, his, some of his greatest memories are of cans being half open and cockroaches crawling in. And he just could not get over anything in a can. I was like, well, that's good to some points, but I'm like, can we cook beans another way? <laughs> so yeah. let's get the dried beans. So, you know, cause we're always trying to get people to engage in eating more fiber, which cans and a bean are one of the easiest things. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was just, that's how that conversation actually started around. It's like, Hey, eat more beans. He's like, mm. you know, so it's just funny how certain things you say, like you're just thinking it's a very innocent suggestion suddenly brings up this very different response that you're just not quite prepared. Like, mm. wow, I'm learning more. So it's, it is really fascinating. I've had really good luck with patients. <clears throat> I love to draw and paint. And so um, having someone either draw or journal in a book that's theirs, that mm. seems to be very helpful. Is there any other things that you've helped, have you suggest for people to do to help them start thinking about all these things that are occurring and not just reacting? Um, so one thing that I think is quite important is to look at your environment. Um, so like you say, you know, if you want to create a drawing or a painting habit, you know, if you've got the paints out and they're easy to access, if you've got, you know, your canvas there ready to go, it's going to make it much more likely that you'll engage with it rather than if it's locked away or tidied away in a cupboard. And ultimately, yeah. you know, we engage with what's close to us and it's, it's, it's a thing in um, behavioral science called friction. We want to decrease the friction to things that are helpful in our lives. And we want to increase the friction to things that are unhelpful. So if you've got a packet of M&Ms just sitting on your desk while you're working, you know, every time you see it, you have got to make a choice whether or not to engage with it. And I think, I think we make around 250 food choices a day, um, you know, and so each time we see something, you know, it, 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 well, we can talk about decision fatigue, but it weighs on your cognitive load. And eventually, you know, you might get fatigued, you might get tired, you might have a nasty email from someone or whatever it might be. And you might then, you know, be like, well, now I'm going to give in to temptation. But if that wasn't there in the first place, it wouldn't necessarily have planted that cue or that seed or that trigger in your brain. And so think about any habit that you wish to create in your life and think about your environment. I even talk about um you know your phone what are like when you open your phone what are the first notifications you get are they around your goals are they around things like meditation gratitude or reading if that's something that you want to develop um are they around fitness if that's something that's important to you are the people that you're following on social media are they the people you know because you know what's your social media diet if you are what you eat then you know we've got to be careful what we consume in terms of our media diet is that supportive of change? Is that an environment that is going to actually help you engage with the habits that you wish to engage with and not throw you off track? And then think about your places in your home. You know, how are things laid out? Because everything is a cure or a trigger for engagement. If you want to journal more, can you put your journal on your pillow so that you can't even get into bed at night because you're you know you're sleeping on your journal and your pen um but you know can you and it, James Clear talks about this in his Atomic Habits book you know when we walk into our living room you know mm -hmm. and and we're trying to cut down on tv but our entire 
set up in our living room is all around the TV, you know? Um, can we move the chairs into a different place? Can we unplug the TV? Can we get rid of the remote? Can we put a book where we normally would pick up the remote? You know, if you can change your environment, then you can create an environment for change. And I think it's very important if we want to create any habit in our life that we actually take an audit of our environment and ask ourselves, what is helping and what's hindering change in this environment right now? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell my patients home has to be your safe space um, mm. because nothing's going to happen until you create exactly those exact words that the environment that's actually helpful for you, because the one place you should be able to go to is, you know, is retreat, your retreat back at home in your space. And sometimes though, when we're trying to get people to engage in helpful habits, um, trying to change my language. Um, it's it's is, absolutely fine. It's, it's, it's just no, but it's, I, I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's a great idea. Um, I don't want to moralize a, people's choices. You know, I don't want right. to feel like I'm a bad person, bad judging habit. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it makes complete sense. And it helps people start retraining their own thinking about what's occurring in their lives. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, but it, you know, also I think not only outside of, you know, the spouses who don't want to help be helpful. And sometimes families actually go out of their way to make the patient I mean, I've seen some wacky doodle stuff. Like they'll go out of their way to actually literally disrupt the the flow, right? They're, it's like, you know, they'll like, well, I'm bringing home some pizza for you. And, you know, they're like, mm. I've been working really hard or they'll put, you know, things, bring chips in the house that the patient had done well without, you know, it's just really frustrating. And so the patient, you know, there's constant friction. So it's almost easier for the patient to give up. But, you know, then I was like, that's when I like that we go back to the beginning of our conversation. We discussed the why and communicating that to their family. And I always tell patients, I'm like, trust me, I'm, I've been married 30 years. I understand it's a lot of work for marriage and raising children. But if you have a spouse who you sit down and say, listen, I'm a diabetic. I have high blood pressure. I've been told this, whatever, whatever. And I'm trying to make healthier eating habits. Can you help me? And they're not into that. And you guys, you have a bigger issue, right? And so that I think is um, people really need to take audit of their relationships mm. as well, because that really does affect, I, well, it's a relationship environment. Like you said, social media, how mm. are we interacting with those that we love or they say they love us, but they're not showing it <laughs> in, a, in a way mm. that we need. Um, but yeah, there's Can lots of things. Can speak to that, Laurie, for a please, second? Please, please. Um, I think this is an issue that a lot of people come across when they're trying to create change is that, you know, people in their environment, you know, how do they get them on board? Essentially. And, and one way, as we talked about is to communicate your why um, Mm -hmm. to show them that it's deeply meaningful for you and what it contributes to your life to help them see that. Um, And I think that's very important. But another thing is that that accountability is on you too, as an individual, Mm -hmm. you have to understand what type of support actually helps me. Um, and, you know, think about it and, and, and to understand that, think about, well, what help, what type of support helps me in work or what type of support has helped me when I'm in the past and I've been on a sports team or what type of support helps me with my friends or what type of support do I offer others when they're in times of crisis, when they're in times of need, when they're in times of support or, at, you know, of stress. Um, because I think it's important for us to actually understand 
what is it that actually helps us? Because otherwise, you know, it ends up that, you know, our children nag us about not going for a run or our other half gets annoyed at us, you know, um, for eating chips, you know, when we shouldn't be um, in their minds. But actually, if we say, okay, well, this is actually the type of support that works for me. Or if we look to look for cues, look for clues even, um, look for things in our day, in our work life, in our home life that actually can tell us what type of support works for us that can you know really really shift the needle when it comes to actually helping others get on board because if we can tell them this is the type of support that's helpful for me this is what's going to be unhelpful that can have a huge impact on actually how they come along on the journey with you Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and sometimes though they'll mention like which would be helpful if you don't bring this home, but then Ooh. they still do. And so, yeah, but I, you know, I think life can be messy and relationships and there just may be a variety of things. Sometimes it's very helpful. Everyone comes on board and those are the easiest cases. Cause once you get everybody on board, it's like, okay, we're set. Um, Cause when that one's feeling low, the other one can help get them past Ooh. the finish line. And so, and I, I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with it's now more, it's not blueberry any longer, um, but really building with these, group visits is building some type of support for these patients who many times don't. Since social support is one of the main reasons um, I hear people struggle with, you know, consuming either a whole food plant-based diet or the exercise or all of these things is the community support because so many people Mm -hmm. don't engage in in helpful habits. So absolutely. Um, And I think one one thing on that is um, as well to explain to that person that this isn't a threat to their behaviors Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of us are worried about how we're going to be perceived by others. Um, And then that's a huge thing when it comes to, um, you know, creating change in our life. And so having a discussion about what I'm doing is not what I'm expecting of you. And, and, And so that that person does understand that there that there is no threat to them and they don't have Mm. to feel like they have to change in any way because that's when we contract that's when we go back into our shell when we feel that other people are judging us or they're trying to change us in some specific way that's when we actually retreat and so you know enable those people in your life and, and say you know this is I'm not asking you to change your behaviors right now this is something I'm doing for me for x y and z reasons here is x y and z support that might help for me but you are free to do whatever you wish and if you have any questions about anything I'm doing I'm happy I'm be there for you I'm happy to support oh yes lots of those conversations occurring that's very very true it's um it always goes back to an example I give a patient that I'll go out and eat with uh, maybe people I don't know so very well, but they may know that I'm I'm going to be a physician and I eat a, a whole food plant-based diet because my my order is typically very different. And so, but I don't you know necessarily start engaging as like saying you need to eat this or whatever. What is not uncommon is people will go, "Wow, your food looks so pretty. It looks so healthy." And they almost always will turn around and say, "So are you saying what I'm eating isn't healthy?" It's <laughs> like. How do you handle stuff like that? I know what I do. I was like, well, that's your own judgment because I didn't say that, but I'm happy to explain why I eat the way I do. Mm. But what what would you do for those who aren't feeling comfortable yet enough to say and confident in their choices as they're in, you know, kind of exploring these new helpful habits? What do you do with those who are a little bit more because there may be the workmate or the spouse or the friend who's like poking at them like how how do you deflect and say this is just about me it has nothing to do with you again and again or 
I don't know. It just seems yeah. to be a recurring theme for sure. Definitely. And the thing is as well, like there's always going to be those people that just want to roll you up. And, and again, if we go back to what is the driver of their behavior, maybe they feel deep down that their behavior is inadequate. Maybe they feel mm-hmm. embarrassed about their behavior. Maybe they feel a little bit jealous about what you're doing because they haven't made those steps yet. And all we can do in that situation is role model exactly like you did and say, so you're, you know, you're free to choose. There's no judgment here. You're free mm-hmm. to choose what you wish to eat. This is what I choose to eat I can explain to you the reasons why I choose this um, and you're more than welcome to ask any questions that you may have and you're more than welcome to try things if mm-hmm. if you wish to get on board um, mm-hmm. but there is you know it's absolutely your choice and your decision um, mm-hmm. when it comes to this because as soon as people feel like they've been labeled or they've been identified in in some way they start to feel bad about themselves and we don't create change from a place of shame and then this is a lot Mm -hmm. about why you know some of the climate messaging isn't as effective because Mm -hmm. if we're telling people that they're not doing well enough if they're not recycling enough they're not doing enough to prevent climate change if they're littering too much that just creates a social norm around everyone's not doing the right thing and you're all terrible people that's not a place that creates change you don't create change out of a place of shame you create change out of a place of empowerment out of a place of a curiosity out of a place of interest and so we want to actually you know help spark people's curiosity um, and not everyone is at the stage of change that they're ready to do that you know if we look at in psychological science we have the trans theoretical model which is like different stages of change and there's people that are pre-contemplators so they haven't even begun to think about change there's people that are contemplators so they're you know seeing what other people do being curious stepping in stepping back and then there's people who are preparing to change and then there's people who are taking action and then there's people who are maintaining that action and we're all on different levels of change at different times in our life and so it's important to you know foster people's curiosity when they're curious but also allow them to have choice over their behaviors because choice is freedom and choice actually ultimately helps people and um, you know shift their behaviors over time mm, absolutely absolutely and you know where I know we're coming up on the hour um, I did want to touch upon just briefly if you wouldn't mind how many days does it take to make a habit yeah <laughs> I know we just discussed that and we're uh, both in agreement but please yeah. what is the science I- about about that I put up uh or I was at a I was doing um I do a lot of keynote speaking for companies and I was doing one for a nutrition company earlier today and I, I asked them you know how many people have heard that it takes 21 days to form a habit and everyone put up their hands and um I said and how many people sitting here right now have formed a habit that they're still pursuing that they formed it in 21 days and no no one put up their hand now I don't know if they were brave enough to put up their hand but they didn't but yeah the 21 days is you know it's come from this anecdotal research from the plastic surgery field that actually that's how long it took people to adapt to their new appearance after surgery and that was from hmm. the 60s um I think it was Mats was the name of the um the psychologist um that did the, the, the study um but yeah, and somehow that just got translated into because we wanted it. We wanted this to, to be 21 days. We wanted to put a number on it. Now, there is research from University College London that shows it takes anything between 66 and 122 days to create a habit. So around mm-hmm. three months. But that depends on how complex the habit is. And that's why we talk about, you know, creating bite-sized changes, creating small changes, creating atomic habits, creating tiny uh, habits, looking at like, you know, the smallest change that we can make, because ultimately 
those are the changes that are most frictionless and most likely to stick over time. And so mm. what I would say, and, you know, I said this earlier, but, you know, habits are for life, not just for January. It's not mm. like, you know, a habit we all have is brushing our teeth. It's not like we do just brush our teeth for January and then our dental hygiene is done for the rest of the year. You know, if we're no longer doing it, it's no longer a habit. And so with that gives us the permission to say, okay, if habits are for life, then I'm going to experiment because I want to have a good life. I want to have a long life. I want to have a healthy life. I want to have a happy life. So I'm going to experiment and give myself the space to find what habits work for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's why it's so important to actually give yourself permission to take time, to experiment, to iterate, to fail, to pick yourself back up, to find what works for you, to find joy, to find your why, and all of these key practices that all make up that method in the recipe for health. Mm, that's fabulous. And so there's so much more we could talk about, but I've already been taking your time for an hour. Um, could you maybe give us one last bit of advice? Let's say someone is contemplating change Anything you'd like to share that you find that we haven't discussed yet or uh, resources maybe they could reach out to also on your, your website, um, please tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I actually have a free challenge, a free video challenge um, that is just really fun to do. And it takes five days and it's got, you've got free resources there um, and all the videos. And it's kind of five, five steps to kickstart your healthy habit change. So something that you can try out this week and, and you know, see where it, where it brings you on your habit journey. That's fabulous. And that your um, website was bitesizehabits.co, C-O, yeah, right? Exactly right. And um, this has been wonderful. And thank you so much for your time, yeah. guys. And definitely, you know, check out our website, check out some of the resources we're going to link to as well. And um, this is fabulous. Maybe we'll have you on again, because I feel like we could talk again. Yes, <laughs> all day. It was so fun. Thank you so much for your insightful questions. And I love your reflections on what works for your patients as well. It's so helpful to make it more tangible. It is, you know, it's uh, it's just the, the real life intervention with the I mean, everyone, well, most every people, most people have a physician and if physicians could learn and understand how they could help their patients start down the path of, you know, doing healthier things and not just, you know, saying, do this, do that. It's just, ah, there's just so much more we could do as a people, especially in the United States. We lead the way yeah. <laughs> in doing all sorts of interesting things, but uh, thank you again. It was lovely uh, having this discussion with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health & Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.